Good afternoon, this is Debbie Q, and you're listening to The Right Show. The Right Show is a podcast about all things strange and unusual, especially in references to a death or two, or possibly even more. I'm just going to, I there's so many thoughts in my head. I, the case I'm going to do today, I had seen years and years ago on a Forensic Files episode, and I didn't realize how in depth the story was they told an excellent rendition of it forensic files forensic files unsolved mysteries the original with robert stack and actually there are my two all-time favorites bill curtis anything with him in it is pretty good too but nothing beats the forensic files and unsolved mysteries i mean they're just legendary I could watch them all day long. I, I just love everything about them. I like Peter Thomas's voice. I, I love how Robert Stack commanded the set. The thing is, is when I saw this story, I didn't realize how there there's a lot of detail. You know, they could, it's a half-hour show, so they couldn't put in everything. I found a really good book by William Phelps. I like to listen to podcasts. I like immersing myself. And somebody compared it to old-time radio. And I do agree with that. Like, I just started listening to The Murder Squad with Paul Hottie Holes and Billy Jensen. I like that. I do like Generation Y. I like it. There's a couple of... I, I like from my Instagram people. I like um, Twisted Listers. There's, God, there's so many on that a dead, dead on podcast. Of course, my favorites, everyone knows, Gisela with Grizzly Books, Marissa Bones, and Lyndon, who we are going to tape another episode about West Memphis 3, because I really learned a lot about that as well. The point of all this is, is whether you like to listen to podcasts or watch it on YouTube, it is two separate things. I guess it's just easier for people to go on YouTube and plug it in and even if they it just to listen to it which is fine so I'm currently I still have like 11 more left to put up like and subscribe please as it grows I will start doing different things with the YouTube channel definitely I think me and Lyndon probably could take we're, we're you know we're two old heads that are trying to uh, keep up in this young world and and we're gonna try different things and I think at one point we could do a YouTube not live but somewhat what you're not used to saying that is the business end of the right show. I, I want to get into this case. It's really good. And I have to say something first. I don't know what it is about homicide detectives. Now, Paul Hottie Holes, who I absolutely adore, and Billy Jensen, it, they're just hilarious together. So he says the word pillow, like pillow. And it's funny. And they were laughing at him. A homicide detective, I know. He says the word color. Uh, you know, I'm going to paint that color red. He says it color. And I laugh so hard. every. T- <laughs> Sometimes I'll just try to say something. So I'll have to say the word color. So, because he, he, he hates that I laugh at him about it. But it is so funny to me. And I said, what is it about homicide detectives that they take these like simple words and they, you know, palo, color. 
I don't know. It just it struck me as funny. So, okay. I have to keep my mouth shut on certain subjects. Okay, let's get on with the show. This particular story. Now, I never know whether I should say the victims' names or the psychos. I mean, this story is insane. It's about Erica and Benjamin. I'm going to say cipher it because I heard that the most. Erica and Benjamin cipher it. Let me tell you who the characters in this story is going to be. This story is about the killing of Martha Crutchley and Joshua Ford. The characters in this story are mostly going to include Joshua Ford and Martha Jeannie Crutchley, Erica Elaine Seifert, Nee Grace was her maiden name, Benjamin Adam B.J. Seifert. There's also going to be a small part with a Todd and a Karen. They're pseudonyms, but they're important to the story. And also... A little se- a little segment about Joshua Ford's sister, which I learned, which I could not believe. This story really is a rabbit hole, much more so than when I first saw it on Forensic Files. This is how it starts. Okay, let me start out by giving a little bit of background on everybody. Joshua Ford and Martha Jeannie Crutchley, they were... A mortgage banker and insurance executive, respectively, from Alexandria, Virginia. Now, it was unusual because Martha Crutchley was 52, Joshua Ford was 38. And they had met at, I think it was a business dinner of some sort. And they fell in love, like even though they there there was a fourteen year age difference, which somebody did say correctly. If it was flipped around, you wouldn't think of twice. But because it was a man and woman, it was like, oh wow, she's fit fourteen years his senior. That's just so crazy. What would he want with her? You know that old bag. And you know, but there's sometimes when. You know, a young person and an older woman will fuse for different reasons. It happens. So they they were together. They really had a good time together. Now, by all accounts, I, I mean, Joshua Ford, I've heard good things about. But Martha Crutchley, or I should call her Jeannie Crutchley, because that's what they called her. Jeannie Crutchley was deeply loved by her, even her ex-husband. Every well, even Joshua Ford, they were they were very good people. And then you come to Erica Seifert and ben, and BJ Seifert, and they're just two toads. I mean, two absolute scumbags. What happened is so freaking messed up. You know, so it starts out that one day, okay, Ocean City. It starts out Ocean City. Maryland, not New Jersey. Um, Ocean City, Maryland is, it's a town, I, I somebody close to me has a house in Delaware, in like the Rehoboth Beach section, and it, that is only about 10, 15 miles away from uh, Ocean City, Maryland. Ocean City, Maryland, we had always gone to as kids and it is nice it's a nice boardwalk but i'm sorry i'm a, i'm a board i'm a wildwood new jersey girl maybe yes it's getting a little different now as i age uh it's not the same as it was but i'm telling you i brought my kids there for years and years and years 
lot with New Jersey, and I, I'm sorry. That just, I know it's not the same, but uh, you know it is comparable to Ocean City, Maryland. In its heyday, Wildwood was like the epitome of a fun boardwalk. It is a huge boardwalk. Had the the most phenomenal amount of games, rides, where Ocean City, Maryland is more of a drinking town. They do have a boardwalk and everything, but it, it's it's so... There is not a boardwalk that can compare to Wildwoods. Seriously. It, well, Wildwoods boardwalk is the bomb. It just cannot be beat. So it really takes place in Ocean City, Maryland, which is lovely. I do love Ocean City, Maryland. It's just... I had my favorites. I do remember one time going to Ocean City, Maryland, and we went to a place called Secrets, which plays a big part in this story. My ex at the time had this big, huge camera. This is before cell phones and everything. And he had got he had worked at ABC. He he got a hold of this camera. He was he said, I wanna bring it down. I wanna like tape you guys walking on the boardwalk. So he's following us around with this camera and it was the size of a camera that you actually use if you are an action news, like taping something. I mean this camera weighed probably fifty pounds. And <laughs> He kept following me and my sister, and we were like, will you get that freaking camera out of our face? And it was so huge, so embarrassing. And my, this guy, so we went to Secrets that night, and then we walk in, and this guy comes up to us, and we think he's hitting us. Back in the day, yes, me and my sister were quite the sight. This guy comes up to us, and we're like, oh, God, not another one, you know, like, because I'm telling you, drunk guys, Secrets, you get hit on a lot. And he goes, oh, I, I seen you ladies this, earlier. And we were like, yeah, whatever, dude. And he goes, yeah, you had this guy, you had this big camera following you around. And we were like hysterical because we were like, <laughs> you did see us. You know, it was, and it, and it always stuck in my head. So when I saw this particular, vi- you know, when I had first seen this forensic files, literally probably 20 years ago at this point, I was like, oh, my God, we were there. And these freaking wackos are there, too. Like, I didn't know that was a place for wackos. I think this was an unusual. I don't know. I I don't know Ocean City, Maryland to be this horrific homicide town. I mean, I I think of Ocean City as as kind of a classy, well-to-do shore region. So let's get on with the story. The killing of Martha Crutchley and her boyfriend, Joshua Ford. The vicious killing. It's like, I want to tell you everything and I don't know where to start. Things go into this killing and it was a lot more than just that short half hour story. Okay, now Erica Grace Sifrit after she married. Oh God, she looks terrible now. (gasps) Man, I'm telling you, people do not age well in prison. Oh my God. Wow, you should see her now. She just looks broken. Okay, Erica Sifrit, she was born Erica Grace. She was born in Roaring Spring, Pennsylvania, which is close to Altoona, Pennsylvania, which is in western Pennsylvania. I don't know Altoona, Pennsylvania. When I went to school out there, I just heard that Altoona was like one of the not-so-nice sections of western PA. I don't know. I've never lived there. 
I so I I don't. That's just what I heard about it. I hate saying ghetto because I I don't know. I I if if I felt comfortable with that, I would say it. But I've never lived there. All I know is that she grew up in Roaring Spring, Pennsylvania, to a Charlotte Gale Cookie and a Gerald Grace. She grew up and she now. She seemed to be a good student. Her father really pushed her. She, she was her, her only child, and her father kind of pushed her into basketball. And she was this great three-point shot and all that. But one of the basketball players said, but that's all she could do, one-trick pony kind of thing. She was good at one thing, and she never, she was afraid to do anything else. She was a meek, mild, a nice girl. I mean, everybody had very good things to say about her, but she was a very timid girl. And she had a lot of anxiety issues that were to get worse as she got older. Now, how Benjamin Sifford had grown up, he grew up in Iowa. He kind of bounced around. Eventually, his family moved to Texas, and he went in to become a Navy SEAL. While he was training to be a Navy SEAL, while he was in the program, they said he was phenomenal. He could run. He could drink for two days straight, not sleep. And then out of the 77 members in this class, he would be number one. This guy was the creme de la creme of this group. If he didn't get kicked out for bad conduct, repeatedly being absent without leave, insubordination, and he got a big swastika on his chest. Because of that unauthorized insignia, you can't be running, you can't represent a Navy SEAL with a swastika on your chest. So he got kicked out for that. But he also got kicked out because of another instance with when Erica got involved. When they met, I think they believed that they met at a party. You know, when they met, it is said that Erica was well-liked and she, her, an old friend of hers said that she was given things they were never going to get. She was the only child. Her parents had a fairy tale marriage. She, I don't, I think her father pushed her kind of. And, and from what I can read and gather, I, I believe that, she never felt good enough, possibly, and she just always struggled with that, like with that insecurity. It was all of a sudden, you know, friends had lost touch with Erica. BJ, on the other hand, was kind of, he. from what I could read, he was just, I don't know, that guy, even from the beginning, seemed to have a little bit of anger issues. He just was one of those guys he was kind of like he you know he liked to kind of bully people around it just seems like that he that's just kind of person he was now she had went to college in fredericksburg virginia erica had went to college in fredericksburg she had met bj during this time they talked to each other, but it didn't go anywhere. And BJ didn't even seem interested. He wanted to be a Navy SEAL. This was his goal. He wanted to be a Navy SEAL, and he was good at it. As I said, he would, He was the creme de la creme of that group. A few months later, for whatever reason, they sparked up a more steady relationship. So two weeks after that, Eric and BJ went to Ocean City, New Jersey, where they met up with Mitch and Cookie, the Erica's parents. 
And she was like very happy. But even Eric, uh, Cookie said she just didn't seem, it, it wasn't her kind of, Erica always went out after more dorky kind of guys, but that was her speed, you know? It's not a bad thing. It's just the kind of guy she went after. But the, but BJ was more of an aggressive, you know, tough guy. All of a sudden, they they known each other for three weeks, and they went to Las Vegas and got married, which was a shock of the century because they they said that it just was so out of character for Erica, and this is where it started to be that the two of them. Alone, they were, they probably could have outgrown whatever little bit of, you know, you're always not yourself when you're an adolescent. That's like such the worst time. It's like when you're in that awkward stage. So alone, they probably would have grew up and maybe possibly he would have been the greatest Navy SEAL ever. And she would have probably been this great basketball player. But what happened is two personalities that shouldn't have met, met, and they brought out the worst in each other. She really did have bad anxiety disorders and obsessive-compulsive disorders. I mean, so badly that she, first of all, they got married in Vegas after three weeks. Second of all, because they got married, the parents wanted to do something for them. So it seems like what came first was that she did not like that he was in the Navy SEALs. He, she couldn't take him going around from place to place. And when you're a Navy SEAL, it's not like you're like. So I remember somebody I knew was uh, in a in a government agency, and his wife and family went with them. But I, I guess the Navy SEALs, you, you have to. You have to do your thing. Well, he was in Alaska at the time with the Navy Navy SEALs, and Erica goes and just pops in, and she's not supposed to be there. So that was one of the reasons he got kicked out for insubordination, because she was there and she, she wasn't supposed to be. So when they come back, the parents buy them a scrapbooking store. It's something that she had always liked to do. They opened it up in April 2001. And there was even talk of her opening a store in Fredericksburg, Virginia, where she had met BJ for the first time. He called her, his nickname for her was Laney. She called him BJ. I mean, it seemed like it was okay. And of course, the father's like, what? who wouldn't want their kids to have, you know, he said, I wasn't too thrilled about BJ, but who wouldn't want their kids to have the best possible life? During this time, I guess she had gotten really bad anxiety and a doctor had given her either Valium or Xanax. And then they went to South America and they got like 300 Valium and Xanax together. I guess, you know, you can write at the time you could write when I went to Mexico, you could write if you had a script, an American script, you could get anything you wanted back then. I don't it's probably different now. I don't know. It might not be. I just know you could write a script and get whatever the hell you wanted. So she got all kinds of Valium and Xanax, brought them back. But she liked to snort them for that rush and drink with them. And, of course, BJ was the one who told her that she should be doing this because he was just so good for her. So she was snort- She was constantly snorting Valium and Xanax, constantly to try to call- c- 
control or anxiety. PJ, from right off the get-go, he had seemed to lose interest in her pretty quickly because after what happened, what was to happen, happened, she said that he didn't even want to have sex with her. It was just maybe once a month. He just... You know, he wanted to have sex with another girl in the room, and she allowed that. She could touch the girl. The girl could touch Erica, but he couldn't touch the girl. So that was their thing, but that wasn't enough. Then he started stealing. That started getting him off more. Like, he would literally jerk off, I guess, after they he stole and that was getting him off more than she was she just wasn't doing it for him and even her one friend did put it very bluntly and it was true there was such a difference between the erica grace and erica sifritz i mean even the look was so different you know she had become a completely different person she was doing pretty good by herself but then when she married bj it was that typical relationship where he and i i'm not saying what happened was all his fault she had her own demons but he kind of controlled her through, you know, putting her down all the time about her weight. The girl weighed like 95 pounds. I mean, she was, I, I'm not a big fan of skinny on men or women. I, I like meat. She was skinny at, at one point. I mean, I don't know. She just too skinny, you know, skinny's cool. I, I'm for anything, but that 95 pounds. And it wasn't just that. She had lost all her you could just tell everything she did was for BJ, not herself. And it was all about getting him off and trying to keep him happy. And she had, with her OCD and everything, she had this growing Hooters obsession. She loved getting Hooters t-shirt, any kind of memorabilia from a Hooters and believe me, that I get. I have enough books in this house to I could fill 10 libraries with. And that's after I got rid of I had to get rid of half of them. I had nowhere to put them. I get, you know, I can I can get into that. But she that was her thing was the Hooters. She loved Hooters memorabilia. So in the meantime, you have Martha Crutchley and Joshua Ford, who I said he was 38, she was 52, and they met and they really hit it off. And they had gotten a place down in, it was like a condo in Ocean City, Maryland, called the Rainbow. The condo was more or less, um, even though it was attached to other places, it was like its own thing, like a genuine condo, not like a regular standard hotel. Because when if you've never been to Ocean City, Maryland, you should just go online and check out pictures of the coastal highway. It is just now you're, it's weird because you'll be driving in Delaware and there it's like nothing, like especially at night. It's almost spooky. It's like so dark. Nothing, like nothing. You're driving in the middle of nowhere, and then, bam! All of a sudden, you pass into Maryland, and it's just these huge hotels, candy shops, and golf mini golf courses, and it's it's amazing the difference, the striking difference. The hotels are phenomenal looking. 
and it's it really is striking. It's it's a beautiful beautiful visually, and they also have which I love seafood. They have a lot of good seafood places. So they, there's buses that run back and forth. Like if you don't have to drive, if if you live on that coastal highway strip, there's several stops that you can go. I took the bus many a times. It was called this Sun Fair or the Sun Fest. And you just get on the little bus and it takes you to wherever you want to go. Erica and BJ had gotten onto this bus and Martha Crutchley and Joshua Ford were already there. They were on the bus. They were sitting there. And I guess they didn't realize that you need exact change when you get onto the bus and they didn't have it. So Joshua, being the nice person that he is, said, listen, I'll I'll give you the money. And BJ was like, look, I'll buy you the first drink because it was going to Secrets. Secrets at the time, it's it's much more well-known now. At one time, it was secret. It was like the greatest secret, except everyone knew about it. And that's where that guy had asked, you know, that place is banging. Uh, that's where we had went that one day. And the guy was like, we saw you being followed by the camera guy. It's such a fun party. I mean, I had the best time at Secrets. And we used to go a lot. And that's where they were going. It is, it, at the time, it was the top of the food chain. It was where everybody wanted to go. I don't know about now. I, I think it went down in status a little. And now with COVID, I don't know what's going on. But you would literally be crammed in at just having the time of your life with people bumping and banging and screaming and, and, and just so much fun. The, the DJ, everyone's having a good time. I guess fights would start there, but I never really seen many. It, it was just a really good time. They, they really kept that place under control and it was fun. So that's where they went and they were having a great time. But they, just, they said, why don't you come back to our place? Now, they were staying at a place called the Atlantis because BJ wanted to smoke. I guess they there was a hot tub at, I believe it was the Rainbow, the um, the condo, that they said, why don't you come back to our condo, Martha Crutchley and Joshua Ford. They went back with Crutchley and Ford, and they said, okay, we'll go. You know, I'm game. Now... Because there's so much in the backstory of BJ. During their their marriage, he had done some really sick things. He just would always carry this gun like a, a... Well, he just loved guns. So he would usually carry this a Sig Sauer with the... The, the, the holster it's like it's suspenders with the holster and he would carry it on in there and she would always carry the 357 revolver in her pants so they were always loaded to the teeth but i guess the crutch i'll call them the crutchleys the crutchleys didn't know this they get back to the hotel and just they to the Atlantis and martha was looking around and saying oh this is so beautiful and then they went to their condo now she's snorting xanax left and right and there has been so many times in the past where you know bj had just gone off with the i i I really think because she was ultimately erica was the one she was the one who came to alaska to get ultimately that was what got bj in trouble 
and kicked out. I mean, he was kicked out mostly because of her coming to Alaska. So to get that far, you know, I, I always think there was a little resentment. And I'm even surprised that he let her do that. I couldn't figure that part out. It really does. I don't know. It, it, I, I, it's something I muled over a lot. And I just can't figure out why he allowed her to do that. Why didn't he just say, F you, I'm staying here. I'm in, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. I don't know. That part's a mystery to me. But I think he, he held a lot of resentment toward her about that. I do. Because he never treated her right. He didn't treat her right from the beginning. But she had her own issues, too. So very dysfunctional. Just two dysfunctional people that a lot of people have said this. And it was true. He was the match. She was the light, and that's how it was. It, it, it want, alone, they might have not have done what they'd done together. It was just unbelievable. So they go back, and they're in the condo, and they're having a great time. Everything's going well. And now this is what Erica... Erica said she couldn't find her purse. So she goes upstairs and calls 911. She said that Joshua started kissing her. Now, this could be true. I don't know what Martha and Joshua's game were. Maybe they did this, you know, maybe she was older and thought I'd like to see him get off. I don't know. You know, that's cool. I, I It's just, I, I don't know what came first. But I know that at some point she went upstairs and called 911 because as she was snorting Xanax over and over and over again, I mean, it seemed like she snorted a lot of Xanax. She went, and, and it does give you a different high than when you're popping them. It, it's not, it's a quick high. It's a different high. It's almost like a, it's almost a little speedier. So, but you need a lot more of it to keep that high going. So she goes upstairs because suddenly she... It seemed like she genuinely couldn't find her purse, but she was so paranoid that she thought maybe Martha or Joshua took it. She goes upstairs and calls the police and says, I have two people in my house and I don't know who they are. Um, I have the... Okay, let me look. I have the actual 911, the the, uh, transcripts from it. So she's in full... Okay, first of all, in her coach handbag was a $10,000 canary diamond, which she got from her grandmother, her pill case, which she probably was more worried about that than anything else. She calls the police. The operator says, hello. This is from the transcripts. Hello, Ocean City Police. Hello. She, and she was actually kind of talking loudly, and the condo wasn't that big. Yes. And she could hear a clicking sound. So she, she, I guess she thought somebody was listening in. Hello, hello, Ocean City Police. Yes. Ma'am, do you want the police? Yes, I did. Sorry. Where? Yes, I did, but I think there's another person listening right now. Hello? There was a, a few seconds of silence. Do you have a direct line I could call you back? Erica asked the operator. And the operator gives her the phone number. She hangs up. She, now they have a lot of guns. It, it, it is a, a question of 
because they feel that she was talking loudly during this call, there was some questions whether this next incident had already happened or not. They don't know because Erica says that this is when Josh came up to her and like put his arms around her and tried to kiss her. Now, I don't know, you know, Martha and Joshua, for all I know, could have been, you know, you don't know people like I, I, Martha and Joshua, by all accounts, were these really sweet people. But that doesn't mean that maybe they didn't like play around with other couples. I, I don't even think that's bad at all. In fact, it sounds pretty fun. But I mean, point is, is that you, you don't know people. I, I, they, this could have happened. I don't know. Because Erica seems like such a whacker. She said that he did this, and then she became even more suspicious that it was him that stole this coach purse. So she finally tells, even though she has a three fifty seven in her waistband, she finally tells BJ that she thinks that they stole her purse. And BJ says, you know, did you steal a purse? And Martha and Joshua, who don't seem like that kind of people at all. I'm telling you, if I thought my purse was stolen and I had known these two from all that they had seemed like they, I wouldn't think they would have done that either. But, you know, you can never trust people, but I wouldn't have done this. So they, they ask her, did you, did you take her purse or you better help find this purse? The purse suddenly became the sole subject of this conversation. Now, whether they were playing with them or whether she really thought they got the purse, I don't know. They said they were playing a vicious game. The police afterwards said that they were playing this vicious game of if they find the purse, we'll let them live. If they don't find the purse, they're going to get killed. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking maybe she really did in her state of heightened paranoia think they really did steal the purse. Regardless, this was not the way to handle it. BJ said, now he brings the gun out. And he said, take off your clothes and prove to me that you didn't take my wife's handbag. And they're shocked. They do take their clothes off. Now, I I feel that now, yes, it was a turning point for many reasons. And not, I mean, in that instance, they were probably scared to death because of the gun. I'll tell you what happened then. And I, I think this is where things changed, though. Because once BJ saw their fear, once he saw that they did do what he said, And this also is a little point of contention with some saying that they ran into the bathroom and others saying BJ told them to go into the bathroom. So they ran into the bathroom or BJ told them to go into the bathroom. Now, they don't have any clothes on. This part is so sad to me. They go into the bathroom. They're literally on the floor. I guess Josh tried to get the window open with his palm because later his palm print would be found on that window trying to get it open in their haste to get out of there Uh, and they had to be terrified bj bangs on the door and says come on josh open the door josh josh says why are you doing this why don't you just leave us alone well he bangs the door open and he shoots josh in the head the fear that Jeannie crutchley must have felt She's 
literally naked on the floor, terrified, cowering, begging for her life, and he shoots her. I cannot imagine this poor woman. It even back then when I saw, oh my gosh, I just feel the. I just makes me so furious. Now, this is what Erica says. Erica said that she, to make sure she didn't know if she was dead, she stabbed her in the side of her hip. Later on, they would find pictures. And one of those, you know, when the police were going, when all this was coming out, and one of those pictures was of like a, a tattoo on her hip and she got it because she said it represented her stabbing Jeannie Crutchley right there in the side. And this is what is so weird to me. She was definitely, I mean, more so than just Hooters memorabilia. She was a, a keeper of all, she loved to keep trinkets that she would get the thing tattooed on her, the ring from Josh's finger she would take and wear it around her neck. But we'll get back to the, so obviously things are a mess at this point. They got two dead people in the bathroom. BJ said, we have to dismember them. They dismember them. They cut up their body. They cut up their heads. They cut up their arms, legs. When Erica went back to get stuff to clean up the bathroom because not only was the door now knocked off the wall but you know there's probably blood everywhere she came back and she said that bj was in the bathtub with the heads of Jeannie and joshua holding them you know look at me i'm the all-powerful i mean that is so disgusting it, it makes me like woozy but I was going to bring up one thing. What I really think turned that around, but I, I don't know. I mean, they probably still would have shot them. They seemed like they were off the rails. But I think if they had, because jo uh, I I read that uh, Joshua was a black belt in karate. I am just so surprised that he didn't. He, he probably was so scared for Jeannie. You know, of course, men of Josh's caliber often think of their loved ones first before they think of themselves. And he probably didn't want to do something that would get her hurt. Maybe he thought they could get them out of it. But he did. I I think it really changed the dynamic when when once they took their clothes off, they were so vulnerable. I really think that. Oh, it just makes me so angry. So they were dead. They were cut up. They put them in the trash bags. Now, in the meantime, we have to go back a little because how this all started was when Jeannie Crutchley didn't show up for work. She was such an astute employee that they knew right away something was wrong. It was Tuesday morning. They knew she was very excited about this trip. They actually thought Joshua had something to do with it in the very beginning. Where is she? She should have been here. So they called the police. The police got right on it because they said, where was she supposed to be staying? They told them the location of the condominium. 
when the cop, when the first initial responder got there, he said, I knew right away something was wrong because her car was there. And Ocean City, there's so much sand and debris that it was all over the car. So he said when he saw that, he knew it looked like they when they first got there, there were so many vehicles that they had to park at the very, very end of the lot all the way at the back, and there was so much sand and debris, it hadn't moved. He, They got the manager to open the door, and it just was like nobody was ever there. When they went inside the condo, they had gotten, they must have went, did a little food shopping first. Everything that they had bought on that Friday, they found the receipt in the trash can. Everything that they had bought was still there, it was like they just took off and went to the bar and never returned. They had, but until the forensic guy came, the forensic guy said, when I first walked in, I didn't see anything. He said, then when I went into the bathroom, I realized how clean the bathroom was. Then he could start to spot things. There was blood on the door and you know, that's when they knew a crime had been committed. So they didn't know who did it at first. And if these two knuckleheads, fortunately, if they weren't such idiots, they might never have known who actually did this. Because how they got caught was because Erica was such a nut for the Hooters memorabilia, she wanted to, they, they actually had backed up uh, BJ's, I guess he had a, like a little SUV or a truck. He had backed that up to get the stuff out of the Hooters and they were loading it up with everything. A call comes in that there's a robbery at Hooters. Uh, they said it was not, it wasn't totally uncommon. So they go to the Hooters and lo and behold, who's got their Jeep or the SUV backed up against it, trying to fit everything, every bit of memorabilia into the into their vehicle. Cifritzes, I was, I, I so many people say the name differences. Again, Cifritzes, they're putting everything into the vehicle, and they literally say to the cop, "Hey, can we just like forget about this?" So he says, "When." When I go to cuff them, he says they're, they're they've got you know they're armed to the teeth with uh, with six hours and three fifty sevens and forty fives. He said it was unbelievable. He said they meant business. He said so. Erica, as she's cuffed, she starts having this massive panic attack. She's you know hyperventilating. She said, "You got to get me my Xanax. You got to get me my Xanax. It's in the car. Uh, yeah, it's in her purse." And cops don't usually do this because he says we're not nurses. But he said, you know, I had a feeling, you know, something was going on. He goes to get her her Xanax and this idiot has, well, thank God, she has the driver's licenses of Martha Jeannie Crutchley and Joshua Ford. She had everything. They were like, where did you get this? So right away they knew and when they went to their development to further check into it, they found pictures of them from that night. They knew it had been them. Then they went backtracked and they, the bus driver, they all said they were together the whole night. That's when they cornered 
Erica, she spilled the beans right away. She said it was all BJ. And they said, well, if you testify against your husband, we will let you go. So she said, no problem. Well, the problem was, is she never talked. She said it was all him, him, him. He shot them. He did this. He did that. When she they, when they went to give her a lie detector test, she must have been nervous. And she admitted that she had been the one to stab Jeannie Crutchley in the side. And that's where, that's why she got that tattoo on her side. It looked like a little snake or something. Oh, and, and not only that, but like their animals, they were named like Hitler. And, you know, they really had this obsession with HIV was one of the names. They were, they were real toads. The guy was like, oh, good Lord. So they not only did she have all of this stuff, you know, it really was her with all the memorabilia. They said the deal's off the table. Tough shit. So they they tried BJ first. Now, he's actually up for parole in 2021. They tried Erica next, and she got the the worst of the... Their ultimate... Here, I'll tell you what they got. Erica had gotten life plus 20 years. um, Benjamin had gotten 38 years. Of course, they turned on each other. They got divorced in 2010. They... Oh, and that, so they, you know, they found all that stuff, you know, she, so she lost the ability to get all that stuff and how they found the Crutchley and Ford's body was they said that they had dumped them in nearby Delaware, which is like 10 miles away. Delaware has a unique dumping system. Now, down the street from here on Torresdale Avenue, if we miss the... Uh, now, our our trash pickup has been crazy in the last couple of weeks, or the last like year or two because of COVID, last year because of COVID. So sometimes we have to go to this dumping site down. It's about two blocks down. And there's a guy that stands there, and he will tell you, like, if you come trucking up with, like, a bunch of stuff in the back... You could say, hey, I have this, that, and the other thing. You can have a couch. It doesn't matter. But as long as you tell him what's in the truck or whatever you're bringing the trash in, he will say, you know, go to one, two, and three. So he knows exactly where everything is. I think that's on a smaller scale how Delaware must do it because it still was a pain in the ass, but they were able to find the body parts of the crutch, Martha Crutchley and uh, Joshua Ford. She said, you know, their marriage was a sham. He, you know, that's when she started saying about how he stopped having sex with her. I have to say, he didn't say much, BJ. He, he really did keep quiet. So he was pretty smart because they, even though they both are up, for, I mean, he's up for parole this year. Another thing that got them caught was they had a uh, and, and I never knew this until recently. They had another couple come in. This is unbelievable. This is how they, they are wacko. There was a place called Fishtails. A guy named Todd had met up with these two idiots. And he had called Karen, his girlfriend. I, I think I'm pretty sure. Oh, her friend. A friend of his, and she he was falling down drunk. And Karen later said, you know, 
this, this was on trial. They had got her to work with the prosecution. They said, well, you meet us. Uh, I have two friends I just met at the bar. Karen said, stop calling me. Finally, she agrees, okay, I'll go down. Lo and behold, they get a flat tire. And Karen said, now I understood they were too drunk to change the tire and they're off on the side of the road and that's why they needed me. She finally says they would go and meet at Phillips Crab House. This is a big, famous place on Philadelphia Avenue in Ocean City. So she was there. She said Todd was so messed up. They must have been feeding him Xanax or something because she said he was literally stumbling and staggering all over the place. Karen changed the tire herself. Erica and BJ were laughing and staggering, and they thanked her. Can can we buy you a drink? It said it seemed so strange that Erica was so out of it one moment and okay the next. I I I I, I don't know if it was the the Zan. I don't know. I don't know if it was just. I don't know. I, I can't figure it out because people that do drugs a lot, you can get really messed up. And then, I don't know, but to be in and out, in and out, that is very strange. They said, why don't we go over to my place? Karen did not want to do this. She did notice that BJ had a bloody lip and she said, what happened to you? And he said, I hit the steering wheel when we hit the curb. He was so drunk, she was like, I don't see how he could have been driving. But regardless, Karen was, they went for a drink. Karen got disgusted and said, you should probably get a taxi or no sheep to drive. Come with us, Erica said. You drive us. No, no, call a taxi. But the rainbow wasn't far, a straight shot. And this is the rainbow was the Crutchley and Joshua's condo that they were inviting them to. So they said, come back to our condo. Karen was very, very, really didn't want to go, but she did against her better judgment. Now, they took them back to that condo and did the same stupid game uh, because they kept using as a ruse. Oh, can you help me carry Lainey? She's totally out of it. So Karen was just trying to be nice, but she said it was against her. And Karen's a pseudo name. It's not her real name. It, it, the whole time she said it was against her better judgment. She, there was a pen, it was a penthouse. Erica placed her purse on the table and she went for the laundry room. The washing machine wasn't working. Um, the clothes were still soaking wet. So she was crying. You need to fix this. Once inside the condo, Erica took Karen by the arm and led her into the living room. How about a tour? And Karen said she was like, uh, oh, because Karen said she had never seen anything like it. It was beautiful. Erica smiled and said, sure, come on. So as she was looking through everything, she had seen that the door had been taken off the hinges and placed there next to the door frame. It, it There seemed to be a bullet hole in the door, but she didn't realize it was a bullet hole until much later. All of a sudden, Erica's purse is missing. It must be in the Jeep. We couldn't have gotten into the condo without the keys. and And so it goes again. 
Erica starts getting hysterical. She seemed to sober up totally and completely. And then BJ pulls out a gun and he just gets all cocky. BJ suddenly says, it is very important we find that purse. Karen says, look, there's no reason for me to have taken that purse. I just took you everywhere. I am not the one that did that. I mean, I just fixed your tire for you. And and I have, you know, I don't need whatever is in that purse. So Erica was thinking she wasn't saying anything. BJ kept saying, if you're ripping us off, we had two other people try to rip us off. And if you're trying to rip us off, I'll do the same damn thing to you that I did to them. I'm reading the people of, I'm reading the earth of bad people. Nobody's going to rip me off. So he starts to, he had the gun in his hand. He never pointed it directly at her, but, you know, he's waving around for an intimidation. Karen said, I don't like to be around guns. They scare me. They're making me uncomfortable. I'll help you find your purse, but you're you're going to have to put that gun away. Erica walked out of the bathroom. It was as if she didn't even care or hear anything. She ran into BJ in the living room a moment later. Erica asked loud enough to everyone, very whiny, BJ, can you please put your gun away? Mocking Karen. Then she laughed. She spoke very nonchalantly, like it was nothing for him to be holding a gun like that. All of a sudden, BJ pulled a, a, the purse from underneath the cushion. I mean, it's so they they left. I, they were like, "We're leaving. That's it." She's Karen said nobody likes a gun pointed at them. BJ laughed a little bit. Well, guns are betrayed. I don't know. Then this is a Sig Sauer nine millimeter. It's my gun. This is a revolver. He pointed to the three fifty seven Magnum that Erica had. It just didn't make any sense that they took out some cocaine. Maybe that's why. Maybe they're doing Xanax and cocaine. That's why they're going up and down. Erica bent down. That's what it was. She snorted a few lines. Uh, we need to have some sex, BJ said, kissing Erica, grabbing at her. That's my cue, Karen thought. Time to go. Do you want me to take Todd or leave him here? You can leave him here. Fine. She got. She walked out the door, got in the car, and left. Why'd you leave me? You were taking too long. Pick me up. You'll have to meet me up the street. I'm not going back in there. When she got back to the rainbow, Todd was outside stumbling around. She got him into the car, and he passed out quickly. The following morning, Karen got on a plane to a vacation she was going on and tried to forget about the ordeal. In fact, she wouldn't think about it until days later when she got back and found out what have might have been done to her. I still, now that is crazy because I had never known that part that he had done that so soon after killing the Crutchleys. And I keep saying the Crutchleys, but Martha Crutchley and Joshua. I don't know. Is it because Karen seemed, is it because he didn't want to go through it again? You know, like the cleanup and everything. Is it because he took to Karen? Like, Oh, you know, where the Crutchleys kind of, I don't know. I have my thoughts and I, I am not trying to, the guy, the guys are both straight up wackos. I, I just, I'm trying to, I, it's, I'm curious why he chose not to kill 
these two individuals where obviously it happened and it happened very quickly after they had just killed Martha and Joshua. And the sad, sad part that I also didn't know, this is another part I didn't know, is that Joshua Ford had actually come from a family. Now, this happened in 2001, which was not too far away from when he was himself murdered. Now, Joshua Ford, in October 2001, a terrible tragedy had struck the Ford family. Joshua's brother, Mark Ford, got a call from law enforcement. Oh, it was Joshua's brother, Mark Ford, got a call. It was Joshua's niece that was murdered. Joshua's brother, Mark Ford, got a call from law enforcement that his 23-year-old daughter, Kelly, who had been missing for eight, 80 days after leaving a Massachusetts rehabilitation center, her headless body buried in a shallow grave along the Cape Cod shoreline was discovered by a passerby. Her heart had been cut out. Police had no suspects in the murder, but suspect the murder to be work of a serial killer. Mark Ford and his wife, Deb, like Josh and the rest of the family, had been left to wonder what animal would do such a thing to a helpless, beautiful woman. But the Ford family went on in the face of such heartbreak. You know, they went on. They forged ahead. That was his niece. I originally thought that was his sister. But niece or not, can you imagine such a devastating murder to happen twice in the same family? That's terrible. I, I, I did not know that had happened to his niece as well. That, you know, that's the story. So they're, they're up for parole. They should not get it. Absolutely. They should rot in hell, both of them. Both of them for doing that. I read a, a lot. There's a great book. Cruel Death, William Phelps, as I've said. William Phelps, you know, they, they he goes into more of the background of the the personalities of Erica B.J. Seifritz. I don't understand. I guess it was the combination. The two of them separate were not bad people. But together... It was the match and the the flame. And everyone said it. William Phelps said it. The the cops said it. She was, seemed to be a very insecure person. He seemed to be a, a, like um not not even so much like well yeah, dominating, but also he seemed like he was just put her down so much that she just wanted to, and and like not having sex like he seemed to be more turned on by violence and she just wanted to please him so when he did all that i believe that she probably instigated the killing of martha crutchley and joshua ford due to the fact that she wanted to impress bj I am as tough as you. I am the woman you think I am. That kind of thing. Like, cause then she stabbed Martha Crutchley. I mean, if that gun did, because, uh, BJ said that the gun missed Martha. So that, if that gun, if he killed 
Joshua Ford first. And then that gun missed her completely. When she stabbed her, then that means that's when Martha died. And that is fuck that that is horrible. Because then she those last moments of her life it's just awful. And they wouldn't have stopped. That would have just been the beginning. The the Todd and and Karen couple that that isn't their real names, but she you know, she had driven from Delaware. Uh, it is, it's only like ten miles. She I she must be thanking her lucky stars. She was probably just irritated that night, like what the hell? But she probably didn't realize that she was very lucky. I that story. I hope I did it justice because it there was so much I wanted to get in there, and and I really wanted to go through their psychology because the psychology of the two of them was absolutely is absolutely fascinating. Erica was very much the pleaser because she she wanted to please her dad even though she was she liked basketball but and she was a basketball star but. I don't entirely think that was her thing. So she was always trying to please someone instead of herself. And then when BJ came along and he saw how he could manipulate her, and then I, there's so many weird things. Like, I don't get why he allowed himself to, unless he, I don't know. I mean, he he was number one now. There's 77 guys in the Navy SEALs, I. There's so many things that don't make sense about that story. They were true, true freaks and killed two beautiful people. When Martha first went missing, they thought so many people, like they initially looked at Joshua before they realized he was dead too. And they looked at her ex-husband because her ex-husband was freaking out that they couldn't find her. But he adored her still. Like they had all, they had, left with with great they left on good terms so it's it's she seemed like a real special lady and her her co-workers were so worried about her and it's such a sad story it, it it breaks my heart that was sister requested my sister requested that that's why i did that one uh but that's a great story it's not a great story it's a it's a it's a fascinating story to psychologically go over. And if you do have the time, I would get the William Phelps book because it, it really is it's a good book. It really goes into the history well. So next time I will be taping the Murder of Bedtime with Lyndon this weekend. So both of these should come out next week. Uh, be sure to listen and... Stay safe out there, folks, and don't take any shit.